one of the reasons we've had hesitancy or folks that uh, have had to deliberate about, you know, trusting what they're hearing from the state is because, you know, we haven't shown up <laughs> uh, historically. And so how, you know, we're showing up during a pandemic and we're showing up during an emergency that impacts everyone. But once that's, you know, gone, how do we find ways to keep showing up, right? And, and keep being present in community, keep having our decisions be as community-led, uh, community-driven as possible. When we're not in an emergency state, you know, really should be focused on helping those who have the least first. And so, you know, how do we really make sure that that's, we're looking at all our decisions, all our budgeting, all our policy proposals, you know, through those types of lenses. Welcome to the In On Health podcast. I'm your host, Kapama Yopala. I go by KP, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of In On Health. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Nathan Chomilo. He is the Medicaid Medical Director in Minnesota, and also the Senior Equity Advisor to the Commissioner at the Minnesota Department of Health. Nate is a pediatrician and internal medicine hospitalist with Park Nicollet Health Services in Minnesota. He received a zoology degree from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and graduated from the University of Minnesota Medical School. He completed his combined residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Minnesota. Nate's advocacy work has included the impact that early childhood intervention and healthcare access have on the long-term prospects of our children. He is also a local and national policy expert on racial disparities in health and health equity. In this episode, we discuss Nate's personal background and the important work he is leading in Minnesota to reduce health disparities. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I am so pleased today to have Dr. Nathan Chomolo on our podcast. He's been doing a lot of important work um, in the state of Minnesota and nationally. Um, around reducing health disparities, health equity, and other important topics. And so thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, KP. Happy to be on. Wonderful. So uh, we have a lot to cover, but, you know, I always like to talk about people's uh, personal backgrounds. And, you know, you're having, I would say, a very impactful clinical and public health career. I mean, frankly, I feel like you're just getting started. So, you know, before we dig in, I'd love for you to share with listeners a bit about your personal background and what led you into the the work that you do today. Yeah, so um, I come from a family of healthcare providers. So uh, both my parents actually grew up in Cameroon in West Africa. Um, my mom was uh, born in Cameroon because her parents were uh, Lutheran missionaries and my grandma uh, was a nurse. And so when my mom came back to the States, she pursued her training and became a nurse. And my dad's family you know, is from Cameroon. They go back to the, the 1300s there. And he actually trained as a nurse as well, and then came to the U.S. to actually pursue a medical degree and end up uh, in the field of pharmacy. Uh, and so they actually met while he was in pharmacy school at the University of Minnesota, even though they both grew up, you know, thousands of miles away in this country in Cameroon. And so that's certainly been all, always been a part of my story, seeing how my parents worked in community. And so that's really influenced a lot of, you know, what I do. And I always kind of entered medical school thinking that my work would entail more than just seeing patients in a clinic or a hospital, but really being out in the community and, and being an advocate uh, and helping people navigate the system. And as I learned more and more about kind of like the social determinants of health is that, you know, we were initially uh, taught about them 
really started then seeing opportunities to engage with specific social determinants of health. One in particular was around literacy. Okay. When I was just an intern, found out about this program called Reach Out and Read, which promotes early literacy in the pediatric uh, exam rooms. And so I trained to be a pediatrician and an internist, right? So take care of both kids and adults. And the more I learned about literacy's impact on health across the spectrum, the more I wanted to can be involved in an intervention in a clinical setting. And so ended up becoming uh, the medical director of Reach Out and Read Minnesota. And that kind of led me to more systems work. And then I, you know, share quite openly that, you know, in 2016, I had a kind of a, a kind of real turning moment where, I, you know, I was doing work in community. I was trying to address one of the really critical social determinants of health, but I hadn't really tackled, you know, structural racism in medicine right. or the role that plays. And, you know, Philando Castile was murdered, you know, here in the Twin Cities in a place, you know, really close to where I live. Mm. He's a guy that was right around my age. And, you know, seeing that video, seeing a child, you know, under five in the car exposed to that. And it, it just kind of made me really take a step back and think about like, not just how do police need to do better and, you know, how law enforcement needs to be better, but like, what are we, what am I doing? What's in, am I doing in medicine and within my own backyard, if you will, uh, to address structural racism? That led me to get together with a bunch of physicians in Minnesota to start Minnesota Doctors for Health Equity right? and really um, focus on how do we, you know, protect the social safety net? Um, how do we educate ourselves around our role as physicians uh, addressing health equity and racial equity? How do we you know, do that as individual citizens, as clinicians and within healthcare systems and within broader physician organizations, both statewide and nationwide? And then as advocates uh, at the legislature, particularly really focusing on Minnesota. Right. And so that got the attention of some folks at Minnesota Medicaid, in particular, because one of the things we were really kind of advocating for and educating folks on was the role of Medicaid in addressing some of the health inequities we face. And so when they were looking for, you know, a new Medicaid medical director, they reached out and um, that was in the end of 2019. And so I've been serving that role since January 2020, in addition to my role as a a pediatrician uh, here in the community. I can see you've been compelled to use your gifts to try to make a difference in these different spaces, you know. Um, Tell me about um, George Floyd as well. Like, what was going on for you when that happened? Like, being, again, another traumatic experience for our country, for his family, for our community. Unfortunately, he's not with us. And just, you know, because you're there, it's like these, it's feel like Minnesota has experienced a lot on this specific topic. So, and then being in both a public space working in government and clinically what 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 were your reflection what's been going through your mind on this over time or how are you reflecting on where we are and the arc of what we're trying to achieve to make things better around these issues yeah i mean i i I think back when i first heard about it it was during my kind of just morning twitter check and you know saw some of those first uh tweets and you know, videos of the murder and was just like immediately sick to my stomach. I, I couldn't watch the whole eight minutes, 46 seconds. Neither could right? I. Yeah. It was, you know, um, something that we'd seen so much before. And even like, if you go back to that time, we just kind of learned about Ahmaud Arbery's murder. Exactly. Uh, we learned of Breonna Taylor's murder. And we really, like, I just um, started getting more and more requests to comment on the inequities we were seeing in COVID-19 that were starting to really be more apparent, particularly racial inequities in, you know, who's having access to testing and and, and who is dying from COVID-19. And so it was just a lot. And I, I think I tweeted something out about just being tired of having to kind of over and over force people to see our humanity. Right before that, too, was the bird watcher in New York who got 
the cops called on him, right? Yeah. Just thinking, right, like that could have been him too if the cops showed up like they did with George Floyd. And so, and so, yeah, it's, it's just, it, and, and then, you know, uh, kind of processing all that and then seeing the kind of protests and, and the riots that happened here in, in the Twin Cities, we were getting words of, you know, white supremacists and white nationalists that were coming in to disrupt and take advantage of this. And that were even kind of driving around targeting black folks and, and Jewish folks in the Twin Cities. And so like, we actually, my wife and I had like a go plan in case you know, because uh, my name is, you know, out there a little bit as far as someone who's, right. you know, been pushing for racial equity. So we, we had a go plan and like had bags packed and put stuff in front of our door. Like it, it was, you know, I, I even remember reflecting on like, this is the closest I've ever had to feel to you know being like a refugee. Right. And like, right. I can't imagine in your own country. Yeah. I can't imagine like all my patients that I, you know, and families I take care of who've actually had to do this and then live with the repercussions. And I'm just like stressed and, you know, crying with my wife about like the fact that that's something that we really had to even consider, you know, in, yeah. In, yeah. in our own city and in, in our own country. And so, um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of really intense. And then I think, you know, where we are now, you know, like initially there was a lot of folks had uh, in reaction to George Floyd, what I had, you know, in reaction to Philando Castile, you know, that kind of awakening of structural racism and then kind of that move to kind of want to interrogate how is it acting in your life? What can you do? And and so there was a lot of, you know, positive that came out of folks actually reflecting on that and making some moves, some declarations. Uh, you know, we saw declarations of racism as a public health crisis spring up from like, you know, a half a dozen across the country to like, I think more than 50 now or, or so, you know, across the country including, you know, several in Minnesota. We saw corporations come forward and, and have all these pledges towards uh, racial equity and 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 uh, that Black Lives Matter. We saw organiz national organizations for medicine, you know, come up with statements. Um, but now we're two years in it right. and, and we're kind of starting to wonder, you know, where are the receipts on some of these? And in some places mm -hmm. we can find them. Some organizations continue to do the work. Um, and, and some um, have backtracked, and 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 so it's kind of how do we how do we continue pushing it? How do we not make this be one of those kind of moments where folks feel, felt kind of bad, got out in the streets, read a book, uh, but then kind of went back to business as usual, and kind of you know make it a moment of change? And so that's I think the the phase of the work we're in right now. Got it. So tell me, so let's kind of take people through the timeline a bit. So. You know, so you're already doing important work as I would say both a clinician and public health practitioner as an activist around social justice and racial equity and healthcare. And so you're doing that work. You become the Medicaid director and then pandemic hits and you become basically the director of vaccine equity for the Minnesota Department of Health. Can you take people through that journey of like taking on that role? I mean, you were already really busy. I remember talking to you at the time, like it's so much on your plate, but this was obviously something very, very important for the communities you serve. And can you kind of take us through that arc? And then I want to talk about where you are now with other health equity work. Yeah. Yeah. So I trace it back, you know, certainly to first stepping into the role as Medicaid medical director in January, 2020, coming to that role, being very explicit that, you know, if you hire me, I want to talk about structural racism. I'm going to talk about how that is one of the reasons we have the health inequities and how Medicaid has a role to play in that. But then when COVID hit, really reflecting on some of like the conversations around the scarce resource allocation frameworks and policies, things like if uh, there was, uh, we started running out of ventilators or ICU beds or medications, 
and really noting that that there was no acknowledgement of uh, racial uh, or structural racism, social inequity at all in any of these frameworks and how that therefore would perpetuate the social inequities and structural racism that we see. And so Ritt wrote a, a piece that uh, with Uche Blackstock, Melina De Silva, Nia Herd-Garris that got um, put in health affairs and that kind of got the attention of folks in Minnesota's COVID uh, ethics collaborative. Okay. Um, which is kind of helps make Minnesota's frameworks for those decisions and has, you know, over time been one of the kind of national examples of how to have these conversations and put forward frameworks. And so that kind of got me from the kind of just Medicaid space into the kind of the broader COVID response, right? And and then when uh, the state was putting forward their vaccine allocation um, priorities and framework, they put together an advisory group, which I was a part of and uh, put forward recommendations for how uh, vaccine allocation should roll out and kind of went according to recommendations for the first phase, which was, you know, healthcare workers, those uh, of our elders in congregate care settings um, got access to it first. But you may recall the second phase kind of got jumbled up because as the um, Trump administration was outgoing, they made an announcement kind of literally in the last week that folks could just do 65 plus. Uh, like just prioritize elders 65 plus without any other sub-prioritization, other uh, considerations. And we know, in, particularly in states like Minnesota, where uh, folks who are 65 plus are much more white, much more wealthy um, than the average population, that that was going to exacerbate disparities. And so it was, was actually pretty publicly critical of our state's decision to do that. And we got data uh, eventually in February, early March of uh, 2021 that showed that, yes, we were seeing large uh, inequities in vaccination by race and ethnicity in Minnesota. And so I think at that point, to uh, our governor and commissioner's credit, you know, instead of trying to, to silence me, they said, well, can you come and help us do better? And so really entered the role kind of with a, a couple priorities. One was that, you know, if you recall at the beginning, speed, speed, speed was all that was talked about. Efficiency. How fast can we get shots into arms? And how many times did you hear the number of shots in arms, you know, um, being the metric and really realizing that with any system, I think, you know, that if you just pressure it to do as fast as possible, it's going to, it looks for the path of least resistance, path of least resistance, man. You're right. It's going to go to those <laughs> arms that are easiest, that are most yeah. eager to, to get those shots. And we know just from uh, before COVID that the, you know, the folks that are easiest to reach are the folks that are most resourced. And because of the way our society is set up by structural racism are more likely to, again, to be wealthy and to be white. And so um, I really want to kind of say, uh, let's, you know, speed is important, but it's not the only thing. We need a metric of equity. How are we right. doing equitably distributing? How can we make decisions on uh, where we set up clinics, you know, who we're giving shots to based off of equity? And so we looked and we looked and looked for different metrics and landed on the social vulnerability, social vulnerability index, which is a CDC metric. And we, you know, first we looked at it and, see, and said, how is it actually as a metric of equity? And we actually found it was pretty, pretty good because when we looked at the folks and the highest SVI zip codes in Minnesota. You know, they make up about 30% of Minnesotans, but uh, you know, in May of 2021, they were making up about 38% of COVID-19 hospitalizations, 39% of COVID-19 deaths, right? Right. So these are the places that are the most vulnerable as per the index. Exactly, exactly. And so yeah. prioritize, and, and there was other data that had come out um, in kind of the summer of 2020 that showed that areas with high SVI uh, scores were also more likely to have out 
outbreaks, right? And so we're we're, we're so we're looking at a metric that gives us and shows us who's been most disproportionately impacted and who's more at risk, you know, for future outbreaks. And so we were able to use SVI as a metric uh, and start to allocate uh, a specific percentage of our vaccines. Um, towards high SVI zip codes. We use that SVI zip code um, uh, ranking to prioritize where we set up community clinics, where we sent our mobile vaccination campaign. We use it to guide outreach through our uh, Medicaid managed care organizations um, who are doing specific outreach. And then we were able to measure it and see how we, you know, how we did. Right. And let me ask, so like, did it, did it work given where we are now? How, how would you assess how you did as, as with your team in terms of bridging that, you know, equity gap. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a start, right? And I think Mm -hmm. what I always tried to balance is that these inequities didn't happen overnight. They've happened with generations of policy decisions. And so not one vaccination campaign cannot solve all the gaps that these inequities are founded in, right? But at the same time, that can be an excuse to not do anything or to not try. And so there's that tension there that I had to kind of, you know, navigate. But, you know, when you look at the numbers, I, you know, I think we did move the needle. You know, there's still lots of work to do, uh, but I think this has provided us, you know, a framework of ways to, again, have equity as a metric, use it to kind of allocate different resources and, you know, evaluate our work and kind of continue moving forward. Right. No, I mean, that's amazing. And we've been, you know, partnering on different things for some time. And I think the intentionality of the model um, for our listeners is something that's become an example nationally of of how to do this, right? Because, you know, to improve anything, you have to start somewhere. So I think um, Nate and his team has, have done a good job. And more importantly, you've set a framework now for continual measurement, evaluation, and programming. So let's switch gears. So now you're, I don't, no one will be surprised, now you're the senior equity advisor to the commissioner of health, which is great because now we can move beyond just talking about shots in arms and talk about these broader systemic disparities across a lot of domains. So maybe you can talk about how you've kind of taken the lessons learned from uh, vaccine equity that you, you were leading and now what some of your priorities are looking more systemically around health disparities in your state? Yeah, so I think um, a couple of things. Um, looking broader across just our ongoing response to COVID-19, we've found ways to utilize SVI to help allocate other resources, right, like at-home tests, masks, um, and then in our uh, frameworks for you know oral antivirals and monoclonals, if there's scarcity that results there, um, and so kind of continue to think about how to you know use SVI to allocate resources, um, use it to kind of measure how we're performing and focusing on um, other grants. So uh, there's been large kind of grants around addressing disparities from COVID-19 that the CDC has put out for health agencies. And so uh, we've incorporated, you know, SVI measurement into that as well. And then really continue to try to drive home, like, how do we maintain? So SVI is just kind of like the easy, easier, if you will, data piece. But I think the real magic of uh, what Minnesota's done was, you know, started, you know, well before I joined. And that was with the real engagement with different communities that, you know, we call them focus communities that we've no experience uh, in, in equities. 
and there's been a whole kind of branch of the Minnesota Department of Health that's you know sprung up to continually engage with communities to have them um, understand what's going on in the COVID-19 response and then take that and be trusted messengers, have, give us messages back so that we can you know adjust and, and understand the, some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that are pre- present in different communities. Even thinking about how we use some of our um, funds around community engagement and like diverse media vendors. And so not all only putting ads out on uh, kind of your main channels, but like what are the ways that folks get information and how do we kind of align with them and thinking now, not just with COVID-19, but through all types of public health messaging, right? Right. And so really kind of pushing us to kind of find ways to maintain this infrastructure that's really been developed, these relationships that we've been developed. And, you know, uh, kind of the thing I I, I keep talking about is that, you know, uh, one of the reasons we've had hesitancy or folks that uh, have had to deliberate about, you know, trusting what they're hearing from the state is because, you know, we haven't shown up uh, historically. And so how, you know, we're showing up during a pandemic or showing up during an emergency that impacts everyone. But once that's, you know, gone, how do we find ways to keep showing up, right? And, and keep being present in community, keep having our decisions be as community-led, uh, community-driven as possible. And that, you know, the state, um, you know, during a pandemic is really out there to kind of help everyone. But when we're not in an emergency state, you know, really should be focused on helping those who have the least first. Right. The most vulnerable folks. Yeah. yeah most vulnerable. I like most disadvantaged. Most disadvantaged. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, how do we really make sure that that's, we're looking at all our decisions, all our budgeting, all our policy proposals, you know, through those types of lenses. Okay. Interesting. So clearly I hear intentionality around f- focusing on different types of communities. Um, are there any specific public health issues or clinical areas from an, a health equity domain that you're focused on as a state, or is it more about the framework and it's kind of broad because of the nature of having a state uh, approach? Yeah, I'd say, you know, in my advisor role, it is much more broad. You know, I'm not, um, I think there's a lot of uh, synergy between um some of the work we're doing on the Medicaid side, particularly around um, maternal and infant health, um, okay. and 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 housing, and and then what the public health department is is doing as well. And so those are maybe some of the issues that I dig into a little bit more. Okay. But really, it is a kind of more about how do we set up the system to you know no matter what the issue uh, that's coming forward to uh, be looking at it through a racial equity lens, through a health equity lens, mm-hmm. um, and and making uh, making sure communities at the center wherever possible. Very good. Um, In February 2022, you and your colleagues released a report entitled Building Racial Equity into the Walls of Minnesota Medicaid, a focus on U.S.-born Black Minnesotans. Um, I've looked at this report. It's it's really, really strong. So can you tell folks a little bit about what led to this report being developed and some of the findings? And we'll add this in the resources for our listeners. This is one of the reasons I came to the role, as we talked about at the top, like, you know, was very upfront about wanting to interrogate um, how structural racism is working uh, within Medicaid and what are the, some of the levers and how we could start to, um, you know, better move towards uh, and build more racial equity into our Medicaid program. Um, and so I wrote kind of a reflection piece after my first year that was actually in Health Affairs blog about building racial equity into U.S. health policy more broadly. And then I basically went to work to try to demonstrate how we could 
could do that uh, in our Medicaid program, starting with the U.S.-born Black Minnesota population, because we looked across our, you know, our data in Minnesota, we've long known that um, uh, Black Minnesotans and uh, Native American, American Indian Minnesotans experience some of the most uh, notable and significant health disparities. And we see that within our Medicaid program, program as well. And so um, started with a process of let's let's first frame what the levers are, you know, to understand, you know, where Medicaid sits in the overall picture of the structural inequities and structural racism that we see. Medicaid's not going to be able to solve everything, but what can Medicaid do? And so I uh, kind of framed it through the, the levers of first eligibility and enrollment. You know, how do folks get access uh, to Medicaid in the first place? And are there policies and procedures that are um, impacting uh, racial equity from that perspective? And then access. And so you have your insurance card, right? You're eligible, you've been enrolled. Do you have actual physical access? Is there like a clinic or a doc near you? Do you have access to specialist care? Do you have access uh, like through transportation? So do you have access? And then quality being the third lever, right? And so once you get to the doc um, or whatever provider is taking care of you, do you get the same type of care as other Minnesotans, as other Minnesotans on Medicaid? Are the measures that we look at, are they actually reflective of what you would describe as quality care? Right. Um, and and are, are, do we need to look, you know take a step back and think about what we're actually measuring and holding folks accountable to if it's not actually capturing you know quality care as defined by communities most impacted by disparities? And then uh, the fourth was one, you know, that in my framework of early opportunities, again, coming from the, uh, my role as a pediatrician, knowing that, you know, so many of the disparities we see start early, even prenatally, right? And so Medicaid disproportionately covers uh, uh, birthing mothers and family and families of young children and young children themselves. We know in Minnesota, you know, uh, eight out of 10 uh, black birthing mothers are covered by uh, Medicaid. We know that, uh, amongst kids underneath the age of 18, 64% of Black Minnesota children are covered by Medicaid. Um, And so we have a real opportunity to, you know, really uh, impact the trajectory um, that we see uh, through what Medicaid can do. And so came to the community with those kind of four levers, right? Got it. Wanted to have a conversation saying, you know, here's how we kind of see the different levers and opportunities. Here's the current state, you know, here's the disparities that we've seen and measured before. You know, where do you feel like we should focus on? going forward mm-hmm. and uh, initially met with leaders from the U.S. born black community, got their initial input and took that to our staff at Medicaid and uh, talked about, you know, where do they see, you know, amongst the areas that were identified by community levers that we could start acting on like now, you know, as soon as possible. And so from that came up with some draft calls to action and then went back to the community last fall and did a couple uh, community conversations where we again shared these kind of draft calls to action, shared the process, uh, kind of the current status and further refined, uh, you know, the, the input there. And then put that all into the report. And the report really tries to do a couple things, you know, lay out that this is that these inequities are because of structural racism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we see so many of these racial inequities is not race, it's racism. And then here is, you know, Medicaid's role in addressing that. Right. And then here is what we've heard from community. And guess what? What community is telling us is actually backed up by the literature. And so we tried to pull, um, you know, from the literature where we see examples of the, you know, very real impacts that communities identified around uh, eligibility, enrollment, access, quality is, you know, backed up by what's in the literature. And so uh, putting those things together uh, to justify the calls to action. Right. Let me ask you something, Nate. So, you know, I always find these types of initiatives interesting because you go in and 
you have certain hypotheses where you're like, okay, like I'm pretty sure this is going to land. And so there's some things you probably learned that didn't surprise you, but I'm really curious, like what are some things that maybe you didn't anticipate or things you learned as you're going into this process and, and doing this discovery that stood out to you? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I think um, for for me, one of the things was, um, you know, the I thought maybe the idea of quality and because some of our strongest data is actually in some of the disparities we see in quality metrics um, between folks who are enrolled in Medicaid in Minnesota and identify as Black or Native American Mm-hmm. And, and other Medicaid enrollees, that seemed to be one of the kind of the lower things folks were really more interested about just eligibility and enrollment and their whole, it, that kind of almost the customer service aspect okay. of how do you get connected to those resources. And then I think another piece too is that folks took this and what I was hoping to see, but I guess I didn't anticipate it from the get was that folks were kind of seeing how in fit into kind of the broader picture, right? right? And it's like, yeah, Medicaid is important and has a role and we can improve racial equity in Medicaid, but why do so many people in our community actually need Medicaid, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are you doing about uh, that? And, and how is there, are there ways that Medicaid can kind of help address that kind of broader issue of economic um, inequality and, uh, uh, and, and structural racism impact on opportunity there? So I, I'd, I'd say those kind of two pieces in particular, um, really jumped out to me. That's really, really interesting. I'm going to make sure to share this report in the resources. I think for many of our listeners, it's, it's something that uh, you'll find very um, useful in, in, in your work around health equity. I want to shift gears a bit. In this season, I'm talking with folks a lot about the theme of leadership. I think what's clear, I mean, you're a tremendous leader. You've been working in your community for a long time. You're putting in a lot of effort with other folks to try to make our system more just, more equitable, to address systemic racism. It's clear to me that part of what has to happen is there has to be some shifts or some movement around more leaders that are really bringing intentionality into the space um, and really using their positions of influence to, you know, make our health system more just. So, you know, I'm really curious first about this commencement speech you recently did. So for our listeners, um, Nate spoke as the keynote speaker at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health commencement. Um, And one thing I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, how are young public health practitioners looking at our situation and thinking about how they want to participate, seeing what they're seeing and learning what they're learning through the work of folks like yourself. So what was your message to to those new public health graduates and, and your call to action to them? Yeah, uh, it was a real honor to be invited by the graduating class. Um, and, and so I, you know, wanted to share my actual reflection from the turn of this year, you know, uh, 2022 came in and I was really kind of for a number of different reasons thinking about a theme of like, you're, you are where you are for a reason and you are where you are for a season. Right. Um, and so we're in certain roles because of choices we made and our kind of overall calling. And there's different time and different seasons in which we're able to kind of act. And I feel like I'm in, you know, a specific season right now. And so as you kind of think about your reason and season, you know, there can be some guiding principles. And so I borrowed some of them from one of my public health heroes, Dr. Uh, Kamara Phyllis Jones, who talks about being curious, right, being a citizen, uh, being courageous and building community. And to that, I add being intentional 
and being uncomfortable and really kind of gave an ex- examples mm. of, you know, how that's influenced my journey and kind of reflected on that and really called folks to think about how they can lean into discomfort and how that that will help them you know, realize their reason, you know, no matter what season they're in. And so it, it was, you know, a real honor to kind of share that message. And like you're saying, I also kind of reflected on some of like the unique challenges that like this is a class of public health leaders who like intentionally went into public health during a pandemic, right? Like they ran into the fire, right? And and it, the fire you, in many instances have gotten really bad in some places with, you know, misinformation, disinformation and, and the lack of trust and actual outright aggression towards public health professionals. Um, and, and so, you know, I think having some of these grounding ideas and principles to reflect on and guide you as you meet some of the unique challenges hopefully will resonate with folks and be helpful. But I, I also just gave my gratitude that they are coming in. They're much needed reinforcements um, at, at a time where, you know, our society, our country, our world, you know, really needs their their energy and their leadership. Yeah, well, I thought that was a really um, thoughtful and inspiring um, keynote address. And we'll share that in the resources, I think, both for our listeners who are young professionals and those in the trenches. I think, um, I think there's something there for everybody. So um, thank you for that and for your leadership. To close, I ask every guest this question, and I think you've laid out a number of themes, but why are you in on health equity? Yeah, you know, as we talked about earlier, I've called to be a healer. And I I think, you know, in addition to wanting to work with community in medical school, I saw pretty clearly by my third, fourth year that I was learning about all these amazing world-class technologies and ways to treat and diagnose folks and make people healthy. But I'd go and work in different clinics around the Twin Cities and see that folks didn't have access to like basic care, basic care for their diabetes mm. or high blood pressure, basic nutrition. And so, you know, it's really this disparity I saw it's so apparent in medical school of having some of the best treatments, but we don't have systems available to everyone so that they're uh, able to access that. And so um, I'm really grateful that there's folks out there who are continuing to think about these world-breaking uh, and, and changing uh, advancements in medicine. And I feel like my role is to make sure that these become accessible to as many people as possible and in a much more equitable way than they have historically. And so that, you know, and driving at that you can't do health equity without addressing structural racism. Those are kind of my guiding principles and why I am in on health equity. Well, thank you so much. I just want to say personally, I really appreciate you and and all the important work you're doing and your collaborative nature. I know we've collaborated on a number of things. I've also learned a lot from from how you've approached this. And um, it's quite impressive the number of spaces and domains that you're leading and supporting and being a clinician while you're at it and a family man as 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 people um, that are listening may not know, but um, I just appreciate you and everything you're doing. So to Dr. Nathan Chomelo, Medicaid Medical Director for State of Minnesota and Senior Equity Advisor to the Commissioner of of Health in Minnesota, thank you so much. Onward and upward, and uh, we're with you in the fight. Thank you so much, KP, for having me. Thank you for all you're doing too, man. It's been a pleasure to get to know you over these last several years, and keep up the good work. Thank you for joining us for the In On Health podcast. For more information on this guest and other episodes, please go to www.inonhealth.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at In On Health. 
Until next time, this is your host KP signing off.